Hey everybody, welcome to Renewing the Center. My name is Chris and it is really good to be with you today on the podcast. Just as a reminder, um, or if you're new uh, for the first time maybe, I just want to say that we use the daily lectionary in the Anglican Book of Common Prayer to um, just hold the notion of God's renewing work uh, through the Bible. And I love the fact that the Anglican tradition has given us such a treasure in the lectionary, which is simply just a three-year Bible reading plan that takes us through parts of the Old and New Testament, engages wisdom literature. Uh, And today we're going to be looking at the gospel reading from today's uh, date, and we're going to be looking at John 19 and specifically focusing on a short passage that occurs uh, directly after the death of Jesus. So our theme today is going to be holding grief and loss. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about 100 pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices in linen cloths according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, I pray that before we hold this passage, God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts I pray specifically for my friends who are listening to me today who struggle, like I do, with holding grief and loss. I pray, God, that specifically that for those of us who are wired that way, whose tendency is to uh, move through too quickly, to be distracted, to pretend, to soldier on, I pray for those folks uh, that you would meet them specifically today with something true and good and safe from your word. God, I pray for my friends today who tend to get lost in grief. I pray, God, that there would be a sense of invitation for those folks as well, uh, Lord, that we would neither rush through on one hand or be stuck on, on the other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I think we tend to rush through passages or skim through passages like this because we know how the story ends, right? We read about Joseph of Arimathea, we, we read about Nicodemus, and we think, well, we, Jesus, you know, they did this, and Jesus was alive. Just three days later, he, he was alive. And if we're not careful, we miss the invitation in a passage like this because we do know how the story ends. So today, I want you to try your best to put yourself in Joseph and Nicodemus's experience. They had no hope of the resurrection at this point. They were not aware of a happily ever after. We're told over and over and over again that even with the disciples who were closest to Jesus, and Nicodemus and Joseph are on a kind of outer rung of the close friends and associates of Jesus, even those closest to him were not thinking resurrection on crucifixion night. They were lost in grief. They were confused. They were hurting What they knew and what Nicodemus and what Joseph know is that a man who had deeply impacted them, who they had hoped maybe would be the savior, the leader, the one who would lead the Jews out of 
bondage, Roman bondage into some new sense of freedom and autonomy, that that guy who was a teacher and a worker of miracles and the one they had put their hopes in, that he was gone. Um, that what they're thinking on the night of the resurrection or the night of the crucifixion when they're getting his body from Pilate to prepare it for burial, what they're thinking is we, we now are going to have to say goodbye to a, a man that we dearly, dearly loved and care, cared for. And so I want you to try to hold that place as we think together about this scripture. Joseph and Nicodemus are uh, similar to one of the other gospel accounts that tell us about Mary um, coming to the tomb on resurrection morning with spices to anoint Jesus's body. These people are just wanting to linger with Jesus as long as they can. And here these two men are holding loss and grief, and they're tending to a process involving loss and grief that I think we have lost. Uh, even in our own day and age, when someone dies, we oftentimes go very passive and we have experts do all the work. Uh, there was a time not too long ago where people dug their people's graves, where family members would dig the graves of other family members. And I've been privileged to um, participate in a couple of burials where family members in the modern era, the era in which we live, took that power back for themselves and dug the grave and buried a loved one. It's shockingly powerful to witness. Well, for us, what is a remarkable anomaly, something that many of us don't even know is possible, right? Like, could I dig a hole and bury a loved one in a graveyard? There are graveyards where you can do that. In the ancient world and in much of the world, it not only is possible, it's just your job. And so our ancient friends, Joseph and Nicodemus, knew that there was a process of grief and they chose to engage that process. It was more normal for them than it is for us. And so I actually think that we can learn something from our friends. And especially as I alluded to in my opening prayer, for those of you who don't hold grief very well, I, I am one of those. I don't hold grief very well. I tend to think of um, our ability to hold uh, certain things uh, in, in, by using coffee cups because I like coffee. So think of a Yeti. That's where you can like put the grief in there and it stays hot all day. Like those are those of you who hold it really well. You pour coffee in a Yeti, it keeps hot things hot, cold things cold. And then you've got a ceramic mug, which is better than paper, but not as good as a Yeti. A ceramic mug will keep hot things hot for a season. But then inevitably, the heat is lost and it cools off. And then you've got a paper cup. Um, it gets cold quick. Historically, I've been, when it comes to grief, like a paper cup with a hole in it. <laughs> um, it would not, grief would not stay hot for me. And a big part of that was just that I learned pretty early on to try to put a positive spin on things, to just move through and have a happy disposition and a hopeful disposition. And so what happened for me is that I never learned really how to hold grief. I never learned how to hang in with loss. I was always just wanting to move forward really fast. So if you're like me, there's an invitation for you in this passage to learn how to sit with grief longer than you feel comfortable. Now, I do believe there's also an invitation for those of you who have that Yeti where it just stays hot forever to know that there is a process concerning grief and loss that should be moving you. 
So depending on your personality and your family of origin and maybe some of your own brokenness or idiosyncrasies, there's a different invitation for you in this when it comes to grief and loss. But I do think there is an invitation for all of us. I used to be papered. I think now I'm I'm learning to be a ceramic mug. <laughs> I'll probably never be a Yeti, but I'm 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 doing better than I used to at holding things that are hard. So let's just think about Joseph and Nicodemus. They had to make a plan. Um, we're told that Joseph, who is a wealthy man, negotiated the release of Jesus's body. So Joseph had to actually encounter. Um, people in power, he had to have an intentional conversation. He probably had to um, do something, exchange goods of some kind in order to have Jesus's body released. So he took a proactive step to initiate a process of grief. He didn't just stay home feeling sad. He didn't just switch on the game to not feel anything at all. He reaches out, initiates the beginning of a process. And then he brings a friend in with him. So he knows he doesn't want to do it alone. He invites the process of grief to commence with companionship. So there's initiation, there's companionship. Then they bring something heavy with them, a hundred pounds of spice. I just want you just for a few moments to imagine the heft of that, a, a giant container of spice. They bring something that weighs something. It, it weighs them down. And the spices were to stave off the smell of death and the stench of decomposition as long as possible. And then they follow ceremony. So not only do they initiate, not only do they invite community, not only do they bring something of value and weight and heft, they follow a liturgy. They follow a pathway. We're told that they buried Jesus or anointed Jesus's body in, a, in accordance with the custom of the law. So they weren't making it up themselves. They were they were moving through. And all of this required that they be with one another and that they be with Jesus. And I, I want you to, to consider with me that they, they were with Jesus, his body, with no hope, no insight, almost certainly, as to what was going to happen next. They were just there with him. They just wanted to be with him. C.S. Lewis in his book, A Grief Observed, said that grief is like hot tea, that if we drink it too quickly, it'll scald us. But if we ignore it, we'll miss the benefit of it. But if we drink it slowly and to the very end, there is a kind of healing and comfort in it. I think what Joseph and Nicodemus are doing is they're getting their bodies and their, their lives in a process that is not their own making, but an intentional process that will move them through that will help them mourn, that will give them the courage to name the loss. Loss and grief need to be named. Loss and grief must be held, not rushed. I believe loss and grief need to be expressed in a physical space in some way, whether it's digging a grave or whether it's moving your body or whether it's reaching out to someone to ask for help. It, it needs to get out of our heads and our, our hearts into the physical world and need to be expressed. Loss and grief is a process. If we pretend that it's not real, that our losses are not real, or we rush through them or we distract ourselves, the loss will remain, but it'll remain un unacknowledged. 
one of the projects of my midlife has been to name some of the unacknowledged losses that are in my story, in my, in the landscape of my life. I think we all have losses. And for some of us, we've not taken time to acknowledge losses. And just because they're not acknowledged, just because a grief is not acknowledged and y'all, I'm not even talking right now, primarily about people who've died. I mean, that's certainly a part of it, but what about the loss of, of innocence? What about the loss of confidence? What about the loss of courage? What about the loss of your reputation? What about the loss of trust? There are all kinds of losses. And when we don't acknowledge them, they're still there. They're just lurking in the shadows. I think loss, in loss of all kinds, there is an invitation to engage in, in work, in a process, a process that will make you more aware of reality. I think one of the things that I've come to see is that my unacknowledged losses actually made it harder and harder for me to live in real places, to be in reality. My reality testing was not all that great because I was always thinking on the bright side. I was always thinking about the next thing that would be better than the last thing and not actually learning to be sad. And when I imagine Joseph and Nicodemus, I, I think that they were really sad and they allowed themselves to be sad together. They engaged in a process that was hard work, a hundred pounds of spice, anointing Jesus's body. They followed a liturgy. So much of my life has involved unacknowledged loss. And then I have to say, there've been a lot of places of just pure blessing and privilege. I mean, in much of my ministry career, externally, at least up until three and a half years ago, you could chart a course kind of that looked pretty up and to the right, kind of like it was moving in a direction. It was always positive. You know, the church was growing. Trinity was making a difference in the world, all that stuff. And then the pandemic came and the pandemic met midlife crisis in me. And one of the great gifts of the last three and a half years is that I am learning how to sit with grief and loss. I've, I've learned how to acknowledge loss, you know, in the popular vocab. I've learned how to take an L. I've learned how to say, that didn't go well. This hasn't turned out like I hoped. I'm sad. I'm hurting. And y'all, again, I'm, I'm moving from paper to ceramic. I'm not a Yeti. I know some Yetis. Um, for me, this is hard, hard work. But what I'm learning is that there's an invitation to make friends with loss, grief. We're told in the prophet Isaiah that Jesus, that our Savior was acquainted with suffering. On the windowsill in my office, right next to where I'm recording this podcast episode, I have a skull. My wife bought it for me a year ago. And the skull, when I look at it, it's actually not a real skull, just so you don't call police on me. It's um, it's a, a patinaed metal antique. It's It's old and it's metal and it's just, it's beautiful. But the reason why I have it is that it reminds me of my mortality. Every time I see that skull and during the season of Lent, um, I'll have that skull on the lectern with me when I preach because I want to have a, and I need a visual cue to acknowledge grief and loss in my life. Otherwise my tendency will be to revert back to the paper cup where I don't hold it very well. So there are days where I just put my hand on the top of that skull and I acknowledge the losses that I'm feeling, the places where I feel sad. And I ask God to help me engage in processes that will make me a better man. 
David Brooks um, gave a lecture at the Chicago Humanities Festival in 2016. And the title of the lecture was uh, called A Moral Journey. And I, I would commend it to you. If you Google Chicago Humanities Festival, David Brooks, A Moral Journey, you'll find it. It's maybe one of the best hour-long lectures I've ever heard anybody give, period. And in that, David says that loss, if we'll allow it to, will carve out and excavate deep spaces inside of us. Loss can make you deeper, better. Or loss can make us cynical if we don't acknowledge it or if we get stuck in it, but it doesn't have to. It can make us deeper. And my prayer for you today as you sit with Joseph and Nicodemus is that you would learn to acknowledge places of grief and loss and engage in a process. Just follow their pattern. Initiate. Bring a friend. Express it to someone. Follow a, a plan. Offer something of value, heavy, get in your body. These things, I believe, are an invitation for us. And they're a way that we redeem and experience redemption and renewal in the hard places of life. God bless you. Go in peace. We'll see you soon. Amen. Amen.